Welcome to Hispanic Marketing and Public Relations, HispanicMPR.com. This is Elena DelVal, and my guests today are Bill Pepler, Managing Partner, and Mark Moore, President of Cavaliero, an employment agency. We will discuss trends in today's job market. With more than 13 years of experience in the technology, financial staffing, and consulting industries, Bill is responsible for overseeing operations and developing additional new markets for Cavaliero in the southeast, including Charlotte, North Carolina. Before coming to Cavaliero, he worked in the Orlando, Seattle, and San Diego markets for international staffing and recruiting organizations. He has recruited personnel for Microsoft, Amazon.com, and Boeing, among other companies. Mark oversees and helps to navigate the overall direction of Cavaliero. He is involved in strategic partnerships and the development of large capital accounts for the business. He has more than 12 years of experience in the government, contracting, technical services, information technology, banking, and professional services industries. He established and oversees offices in Orlando, Florida, and Charlotte, North Carolina. Bill, Mark, welcome. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. I think this is a topic that is of interest and concern to many of our listeners. It is, of course, because of what is going on with the economy and the changes that we are seeing in our country, perhaps, that it is a source of concern for many who are looking for jobs, but also of concern for many people who are in a position to hire because, of course, it is becoming much more challenging than in past years to fill positions. Let's start, if you would bear with us, with a very basic question, which is, can you paint a picture for us, sort of with broad strokes, of what is happening in the staffing industry. How would you describe the situation today? Well, I think it's an ever-changing marketplace, uh, one that, uh, depending on the day of the week, the the pulse of the business world is changing. Um, We have seen very positive trends and an uptick in business over the last 90 days, and we're forecasting pretty significant things for our our firm in 2011. Uh, We have noticed uh, some Fortune 100, Fortune 500 counts that have, over the last 24 months in particular, have put aside uh, positions uh, within technology, if you will, that no, can no longer wait um, before these projects have to take off. Uh, and some of those technology initiatives are, are driven by Microsoft and some of the technologies that are happening out there in the IT world. But we are seeing some very positive trends, not only in our offices in Florida, but as well as in North Carolina. So we're keeping our fingers crossed, and what we're hearing from our client base is that there's some very positive things that are happening not only through the rest of the fourth quarter of 2010, but for the entire 2011. When we talk about staffing, what are we referring to? Are there particular categories that fall under the staffing, the definition of staffing, and others that don't? How would you define that? I think there are several areas, and this is Mark, I think there are several areas of staffing um, when you talk about certain companies. I think the really the thing that separates maybe the two primary types is a real true professional service as opposed to just a, a temporary labor type situation. Um, you know, typically, there are a lot of uh, employment or temporary labor companies out there that are simply trying to uh, fulfill a, a, a particular need uh, for just a, a certain period of time, maybe someone went on maternity leave, uh, perhaps maybe they need to do some filing or uh, some audit uh, is taking place internally within their office, and that's more of a temporary staffing need. Um, and, and then there's a professional service where you know, someone is actually coming in providing what you know, may be a, a long-term need for that organization. Um, however, you know, this organization is not quite sure either where they're going to be at financially um, or perhaps they're um, just sort of unsure about how long, you know, this type of need is going to actually, you know, be there. They're, they're just not sure. Maybe, uh, you know, there's a, a million different scenarios that can happen for that. But, uh, you know, I think those two kind of a, a temporary uh, staff, you know, augmentation as opposed to a, you know, professional service or, uh, you know, we like to call maybe a contract to hire type situation 
and those are, I think, clearly the two you know different types of, of staffing that are, are taking place out there right now. And this is Bill. I would only add that we are part of a $200 billion industry uh, that is rapidly growing. In fact, forecasted over the next 10 years is one of the largest industries um, in the entire workforce. And, and part of that is being driven by the nature of how people are going to work. You know, with the mass exodus of, of retirement from the baby boomer generation, there's a lot of people that are not just yet ready to, to retire and not work. Um, you know, I use an example as, as folks uh, from a previous generation that, you know, may be retiring at age 62 but would like to go do some other engagements, whether that's a three-month, six-month, nine-month project. And I think a lot of the initiatives that are being driven uh, specifically within healthcare. Uh, are driving the nature of our workforce to more of a project base. So I think, you know, in the past where you you may have had two or three different jobs over a 40 to 50 year period like, uh, you know, my father did and I know Mark's father had, now you're seeing people that are working and somebody who uh, has some senior le- longevity at a company may be 36 to 48 months. So that only leads to the increase of people being hired and companies utilizing project work- workforce. When you say professional hiring, are you referring to doctors and lawyers and accountants, what perhaps a lot of people think of as professional? Are those the definitions, or are there others? You know, what's funny is, is you know, I think if you would have asked someone 10 years ago, um, you know, when we're talking about professional staffing, you know, how does someone, you know, hire a doctor or attorney, um, you know, uh, people, you know, within that sort of profession, I think, you know, they would have said, well, maybe they might get an agency to bring somebody on full time. But we're even seeing positions like that become a, a attempt to hire or, um, you know, even a temporary type situation, depending on, uh, again, the actual overall business's uh, financial capacity and, and the longevity of their needs. So um, when we talk about professional services, you know, really, we could be talking about you know anything that requires a, a, a qualified and trained person to to perform a certain task that they again maybe have experience in. So, um, you know, we're seeing you know trends in staffing that you know again that you wouldn't have seen 15 years ago. Can you give us a picture, or maybe a, the better word is a breakdown? of how the staffing numbers are. In other words, are we talking about 20% professional services and 80% temporary, or what would you say is the breakdown? I don't know the specific breakdown. I mean, historically, I think temporary employment or project employment has geared more towards blue collar uh, in the United States, but I would say a trend over the last 15 to 20 years is really you know, more professional services or white-collar employment where you may have a CPA or, or a CFO, uh, for example, or maybe a CIO of a position would go project-based versus a full-time uh, role. So I would say it may have been at one point uh, 60-40 in regards to uh, blue-collar versus professional white-collar, and now I would say it would be closer to 50%. And, and only increasing um, from the trends that I, I spoke earlier, I could see another 10 years from now uh, where it's 60-40 the other way. Are you saying that that refers to new hires or hires through an agency? Correct. I would say the, uh, the, the way people are hired by uh, or how they utilize a staffing agency in, in the United States. How is the situation today in terms of the kinds of skills that are in demand? Is that is there something special about the skill requirements that you're seeing today that maybe is different from past years? Yeah, I'll take this one. I, I think, you know, one of the, well, specifically within technology, which is really our sweet spot, um, you know, we're seeing trends, obviously, you're moving towards again, really where the technology is headed. We're seeing trends in uh, you know Web 2.0 and .NET, and 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 the way that you know technology is continuing to increase. We're seeing trends of obviously you know looking for uh, folks with you know and have experience with that. What I think is great, and what we've really seen is that um, I think a lot of the educational institutions, um, you know, especially here in Florida. Um, have really started to take advantage of that. Um, you know, I was recently at a um, 
a conference in, at uh, the University of Tampa where SAP was actually a large uh, part of this conference that was taking place. But SAP was actually developing curriculum, working with uh, some of the deans of the College of Business and their MIS program to actually make sure that some of the you know, people that were graduating from that school actually you know, directly had that experience with their product. Well, the advantage is SAP is probably used in 70% you know, of the companies out there as far as an enterprise resource uh, a software package. And it's so hard to gain that knowledge, and you never used to see it embedded within a, an actual school's curriculum. It was really more of just a basic, you know, here's the, you know, binary language and here's, you know, the, uh, you know, kind of the, the very basics of, of IT and MIS. So we're seeing the trend in education get it where, you know, the people that are actually getting out of school can come right in and have that expertise within specific software that's in high demand. Um, so I think those specific software suites are, are the jobs out there that are always in demand, especially with, you know, again, ERP type solutions. Um, you know, CRM, which are, you know, uh, customer relationship management tools. Um, these are specific areas that we're seeing within IT that I think are, are very high, uh, are very much in demand. And I would just add that the biggest trends that we've seen, regardless of skill set, whether that's technology or finance or administration, is is how our client companies are asking and demanding for strong interpersonal and soft skills with our candidates. I mean, there was days in the past where you know you could have the IT person uh, be in the back closet and, and kind of just working on the server or working on individual computers and letting the organization know when those uh, systems are back up and running. Um, you know, the prototypical IT guy back in the 1980s. Well, you know, technology in particular is such an integral part of any organization. That person now has to be able to interact with executives, finance folks. Um, you know, the people who are non-technical, and be able to relate those skills of what they're trying to get accomplished to people who may or may not understand him. So that's where firms like ourselves can really help fill in those gaps as, you know, our screening process um, entails not only technical uh, screening and testing and reference checking, but also, you know, we interview every single one of our candidates face-to-face -to, -face to try to get a gauge of, of culture fits and culture fit for each environment and each client maybe completely different. I mean, I look back to, to my days when, when I did work in Seattle, as, as you mentioned. You know, there was really two different types of people or consultants that worked out there. There was, you know, the Boeing folks, that, which were white-collar, very conservative, very structured people, and there was the Microsoft people that you could have uh, tattoos, you could have uh, green hair, you could bring your dog to work, and they didn't really care as long as you got the work done. And uh, soft skills are becoming a trend that every one of our clients, I would sit there and say that if we went and looked at our open job orders uh, from our clients, sometimes, and I dare say even more important than what's technical or what's on their resume would be what jumps off the page of the resume and who they are as a person. So those soft skills and interpersonal skills are, are something that's becoming more and more important, important to a company. It may seem a little odd to say, and this this may not seem extremely professional to say, but um, you know, I actually had a customer once to say, you know, at the end of the day, I want someone that I can have a beer with, and, and I think that is becoming increasingly important. Like Bill said, you know, someone that you know you can sit down and, and socially uh, and culturally does fit into the environment that they're working in. That that's a really interesting perspective, and it brings me to a perfect segue for my next question, which is. What would you say is the largest hiring segment that you're looking at? Is it entry level? Is it middle? Is it senior? Yeah, it's a great question. And we, I would say by far it's the middle market, you know, folks with three to five years experience that uh, have a degree, and not necessarily uh, nothing to do with, with age, but more, more so along the lines of experience and, and where where they are in their career, um, whether that's a, a retrained career or right out of school career. But yeah, customers uh, tend to, for senior, two senior level folks, firms like ourselves may not be ideal, and folks right out of school, it's very difficult for us in a lot of cases to place those individuals. But if we have somebody who's and I'm thinking more along the lines of I don't want to just talk only about technology, but somebody who has a technology background, what's extremely marketable to a company right now is somebody who has very strong 
development skills within Microsoft technology that is in that three to five year space. In your recently published 2010-2011 employment handbook, you mention, since we're on the IT subject, which you specialize in, that there has been an increase of 63,000 jobs and 1.7% in the market since January of 2010 because of a hiring rebound. There's a lot of talk about how offshoring is causing job loss in the United States, and specifically in the IT area. What would you say about that? That's a great question. In fact, I have a recent example of a client of mine that, uh, again, within technology, had outsourced their technical support um, to, to an overseas location. And uh, what they found was that the culture uh, of this particular company, which is a pretty well-known organization within, uh, within the United States with base operations in, uh, in Illinois, that the people who were in accounting or in finance or in sales or marketing were no longer calling the technical help desk, which I think in this case it was a first pass was in India. And the reason why, once they surveyed their staff to find out that they were no longer calling um, help desk in India is because technically they could answer the questions, but they had a tough time understanding simple communication skills. So what they wound up doing was calling their friend in sales and marketing or accounting and finance and asking them technical questions to help. Can you fix my laptop on the road? I'm, ha I'm on the road. I have an issue right now. So the organization took a look back and said, well, wait a minute. Isn't this cutting down from production from not only sales and marketing, but overall time spent on doing, your pro uh, doing produ productivity activities at the office? So they wound up bringing back all those technical support jobs after only about a six-month period of time and bringing them back to, uh, in this case, they utilize a facility in Orlando, Florida. So we are seeing trends that maybe offshoring or outsourcing may not be the best fit for every single company. Is it cheaper? Well, yes and no, depending on the organization. This was a large, like I mentioned, Fortune 500 company. And could it work with segments within that company? Yes. Um, but in this case, the company said it wasn't worth it for them to save a little bit of money because they couldn't put a finger on how much sales it was costing them by not having as productive employees, if that makes sense. Yes, I, I've actually heard of people who were replaced by as many as 10 offshore staff, so one person being replaced by as many as 10 offshore staff, and they were still having trouble with that. Well, you're very I limited, believe it. I think. On, on, I think you're very limited on what you could do if you decide to, to outsource or offshore uh, in that capacity when really, you know, sometimes you just have people kind of reading from a script uh, or going through a very, you know, specific process, and it's it's hard, you know, sometimes, you know, with the cultural boundaries that may exist or sometimes with the rigid structure that exists to provide, you know, either support or development uh, for them to really stray outside or uh, use any ingenuity or feel empowered uh, to, to help, you know, their specific customer where I think, you know, keeping some of those resources in-house um, allows for that. And, and then only another trend that just came, when you mentioned those stats to me, I was like, what's driving this? And two things popped out at me, and again, specifically within technology. Um, two trends to keep note of is how companies are utilizing technology. And, and, and I'll use our firm as an example. You know, there's two different initiatives that, could, that are taking place right now that, are, that companies are deciding whether or not to add headcount uh, within IT staff. One is, can technology help reduce cost, and you know, we use voice over IP as an example, would a phone initiative that can save costs for long distance spend uh, over a series of three to five years help um, bring down what, what IT was at one point as an overall cost center, um, or is technology, can technology help increase sales, as Mark mentioned, with a, a specific CRM or, or maybe an ERP tool that you can get more uh, of your existing data and get more from your, from your customer base, uh, whether those are business intelligence tools uh, or what have you, but can you do more with your current customer base? Those are two trends that I think are driving 
why the increase in, uh, in employment in technology is there. One of the changes that I've heard of in the employment area is that employers are looking for new hires to have more skills and that sometimes they're finding it hard to fill a position because they're requiring the person to be able to do so many things that they literally can't find anybody with the skill set that they've described. Are you seeing evidence of that? Yeah, I think we are. And, you know, sometimes that could be frustrating to our internal staff is when you think that you have uh, found a perfect match from a candidate to an opening within a, a certain company and, and match that culture fit that I described earlier, and the client is still sitting there saying, well, not 100%, a little unsure, uh, we want to see some other candidates. We still are seeing a little bit of that. However, I could say that the trends over the last 90 days, companies are, are saying that we can no longer wait for that perfect fit. Can we have somebody who maybe is 75% fit but brings things to the table that we did not consider and have them fit within our organization? If you asked me that question 6 to 12 months ago, I would sit there and say the client would just simply wait. Where now, I think some of the initiatives out there, again, within technology, are, are forcing companies to say, we can no longer wait. You know, we need things to get going. We don't want to get too far into 2011 when we're still trying to, to hire somebody. The average opening uh, within a technology department has gone down from 120 days to now a little over 85 days. So that trend is there, and we're hoping it continues to go less and less. You know, and I also, just to add to that, I think, you know, one of the things as a potential employee or someone is, you know, changing employment or are currently in an interview type, uh, you know, situation uh, where they have themselves out there, you know, I think it is important to remember, you know, what their contribution to the company is um, as opposed to, you know, what that company is potentially going to be just giving them. I think a lot of times we see people maybe who do have wonderful skills and, um, you, you know, can, can walk in the door and perform that job, um, sort of have a very high expectation or um, I'm not really sure what the word I'm looking for is, almost a sense of entitlement, you know, coming into a potential employer. Maybe someone had an excellent education or uh, feels that their, you know, last background or last employer that they were with, they, they you know, learned something so substantial that they should be a, such a huge asset to a company. And that may be true, uh, but I think it's important for, for them to realize when they go into that organization, you know, what, what is the value that they're bringing in and what is it truly when, when it amounts to dollars and cents? Is the salary that they're being paid, is the compensation that they're uh, being given overall, uh, does that account for um, you know, either a business process or a savings somewhere, or are they actually you know, bringing back into that organization um, the, the revenue that they're, you know, taking out with their compensation. I think it's really important for an employee to remember that. And I think, you know, in some instances, even in this market, it, there is a sense of entitlement. I think people have to be careful of that. Meaning that some employees are going in or in a position where they think that they're worth more than they actually are. Are you, you're saying that they need to be very aware that they actually bring the skills that they think they do. Is that right? I think not only just bring the skills that they think they do, but you know maybe not uh, in a situation where if, if someone is being asked to do, say, more than what they were asked to do in the past, but still within well within their capabilities to add more value to that organization, um, again, to, to see it as a true value add to the company, and truly become a, a part of that organization, you know, taking, uh, you know, bringing, you know, more to the table. So, yeah, I, what you're saying I think is is accurate, but I, I think, it, it, you know, so, some employees see it uh, that a little differently. Yeah, I mean, I'll give you an example. There's been people who um, who have been unemployed for a few months, and, you know, there, there comes a time and, and someone who is unemployed where, they're waiting for that perfect position to get back into the workforce. Uh, I don't know if it's, a, it's a, if it's a blow to the ego or if you have to take a step backwards, uh, that mindset of, you know what, I may have to take a step backward in, in my pay scale and also my employment skills to take what could be perceived as a giant leap forward. Um, so, and I just think when we have done even some hiring 
uh, for our, our own firm, uh, we look at people who can, can be versatile, and maybe they bring one skill set to the table, but we're looking at them for something nine to 12 months down the road for a completely different position. And I know recently we've made that clear to an individual and saying, when you come into our organization, the need that we have right now is X, but where we foresee our growth, it's going to be completely different. Can you grow with us? Are you, are you agile enough to know that, you know what, a smaller firm, like in this case, uh, our firm is, is, is revenue uh, under $15 million, so we're not a $100 million, $500 billion company. We're, we're a company that, you know what, we are not asking our staff to do as much as, as we are doing right now from a leadership standpoint. And we need employees who feel like they're empowered to come grow with us. And I think Mark was saying that it's, it's tough for, for people who may be more comfortable collecting an unemployment check. I mean, there's been cases recently where we've offered money uh, and offers to people that, that said, you know what, not yet. I'm going to hold out a little bit longer. And, uh, I mean, I think, uh, I think that's a trend to keep track of depending on, on if the unemployment benefits do get extended, uh, which I don't think they will at this point. I heard someone give a presentation once in which she was recommending that they take a job with the assumption that they were going to be there for a year or two, outlining that the years where an employer was loyal to the employees were gone and that it was everybody for themselves, that essentially they should stay at a firm for the amount of time that it took for them to learn the skills that they wanted. But they should enter with the mindset that they were going to be there for a short amount of time and looking on the horizon for their next place where they were going to move. Do you see evidence of that uh, in the current market? You know, I can I speak think, on uh, Go ahead, Mark. Uh, just to speak on it personally, I, I really think it depends on what First of all, what 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 is your skill set? What what type of field that you know are you looking into specifically? Um, well, I think we're drastically different from again, like my father has been with the same company now for uh, going on 39 years. Um, I think that trend has certainly passed, but you know I believe that <clears throat> the job shopper sometimes uh, a term like you know maybe someone who is in a new position every year or every couple of years. Uh, I think companies are starting to see that that's maybe not someone who is going to really add value into their organization. Um, you know, I myself have been out now uh, for almost 15 years, and I, I've had you know a total of three employers. Um, you know, so looking at someone like that, I, and and even internally within our own organization and for my customers, that's typically what I'm looking for: is someone you know who can prove that they, you know, aren't just here you know through the good times, but can also kind of how, uh, you know, wary any type of situation. Now, the only thing I would add is that, you know, we do advise some folks that are out there that are considering working or not working to go ahead and if especially a project job, take the position. I mean, you're in a bench, much better role if you're taking a project role to go and find something, whether it's within that organization that could turn into a permanent position or within another organization. It's like you don't know unless you know. So if given the opportunity to get your foot in the door and if you're unemployed, you know, maybe you're an IT director but have to come in as a network manager, again, going back to technology, our recommendation would be to take that position and see if there's a role that you can carve out for yourself at that particular organization. Or, um, you know, as a recruiter, I'll look at a, a candidate's resume and if they've had too much a long, too long of a break of employment. I know the first thing in my head, and this is probably just human nature, is like, what's wrong with them? Why have they not been employed over the last 12 months? Yes, there's been, you know, a terrible downturn in the economy here, but in the back of my head, there's always like, well, is there anything in particular with this individual that they have not worked? So, um, my advice always is to go and find something that can pay you a wage that, by the way, the technology wages are also increasing, but keep your skills sharp, and then you'd be in a much better position to find a permanent role at that organization or jump to another company, um, you know, when the time comes right. One of the things that you mentioned earlier that is something employers are looking for, 
And of course, there are going to be many in our audience who are in the position where they are looking to hire. You talked about the change in the industry or the employment arena of the personal skills that where, and you specifically mentioned technology, where that used to be sort of a back-of-the-house kind of person that was behind the scenes. Now they were expected to interact with all of the areas of the company, and they were expected to be able to do that in a highly functional way, if I understood correctly. Would you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, and I think... um I think that's been a a recent trend, and I said recent, within 24 to 36 months, that uh, as employers have had more choices, uh, and certainly they have, and and, and as an example, when one client recently had an opening where they posted a position on Monster, I think they received upwards of 500 candidates that applied to that job. And, of course, our our answer is to the client is, like, how would you ever have the time to go and screen those 500 candidates? That's almost a full-time job. And uh, I imagine your human resources staff have some other items that they could focus on rather than screening those 500 candidates. So that's how a firm like ourselves can really fit in today's marketplace, no matter what the economy is doing. But, um, you know, we've heard from clients that, yes, we want A, B, and C skill sets, but we also want somebody who can interact and have some very strong social presence and very strong interpersonal skills. And that's tough to teach. Um, you know, either people have those skills or that's something that they can work on or improve upon. And that's always like, how do you go and do that? I mean, is there interviewing skills that can be taught? Is there social skills that can be taught to, to the individual? You know, we get a chance to speak to some organizations, uh, especially some tech schools here in town um, in Orlando, Florida, and that's stuff that I think can be coached, but if you know that going in uh, to an organization, then you'll be much better suited. But there's some organizations that still, you know what, we don't care uh, if the person can interact with our staff, we just want the job done. But that's where you have to do the investigation on your own to make sure that the job that you're considering not only fits your skills from a technical standpoint, but also there's a culture match, uh, meaning that you'll fit in with that organization. And you can do so much um, research online uh, by websites like uh, like LinkedIn, for example. Um, you can take a look and see career paths, uh, reading up as much information on that particular company. So you know exactly what you're getting into. Limit as many surprises as you can by doing research and that always goes back to emp- empowering yourself with tools and technology and websites right now. Um, again, sites like Hoofers, there's so much information that's at your foot, uh, foot uh, fingertips. Reading uh, business journals, reading the newspaper, the business section, finding out who's coming to town, who's going through layoffs. It's always um, a pet peeve is when I hear of somebody who goes to a client site or goes on an, inter- on an interview and has no idea what that organization uh, does or what initiatives they have that's upcoming over the next 12 to 24 months. Honestly, if you take 5 to 10 minutes worth of time on a computer, and if you don't have access to a computer, you can go to a public library and do that, you can find out exactly what's happening with that organization. What what technology initiatives do they have? What big contracts did they just sign? What contracts did they lose? And those would all translate to good interview questions that we could uh, make sure that our, our consultants or employees ask while on a client interview. I recently heard a description which was not really personnel specific in terms of hiring, but more along the lines of what the future working environment might look like. And one of the things that I thought was really interesting was the contrast that the presenter made in relation to the generations, how a baby boomer might address a particular situation compared to a generation X or Y, so on and so forth. And one of the examples that she gave was of, I think it was the generation Y, addressing his or her boss and saying, well, I have some feedback that I want to give you about the way that you manage things. How do you see the employers dealing with these different generational issues because, of course, you mentioned the interpersonal skills that the employers were looking. But at the same time, generally, you're going to be looking at 
older managers and younger incoming staff, middle to younger incoming staff. Are you seeing any indications of that? You, you mentioned social media a minute ago in terms of some of the things that you should do. How or do you see any of these reflected in your experience with employers and candidates? Well, I think those you know, two questions are a little bit separate. I think, you know, to me, honestly, the, it doesn't necessarily, the, the current job market doesn't necessarily fit what was the stereotype, the, the older manager, the younger, um, you, know, uh, you know, new person just kind of, you know, gaining their way up. I think the trend is um, really, there's a, you know, tons of different broken molds. I mean, I, I'm in an organization with the president of Wells Fargo Bank and, and she's under 45 and, and you know, that, that's certainly, you know, not, not a, a typical uh, situation. Um, as a manager and a business owner myself, I, I actually really welcome uh, any kind of feedback, how I can be a better manager, how I can be a better business owner and, and how I can, um, you know, continue to, uh, you know, strive or do well in my business. Now, I think that does take, a, you know, the ability to be humble, uh, the ability to kind of check your ego at the door uh, when you walk in to uh, really develop a, a great relationship with your employees where they actually feel comfortable enough to talk to you about that. Um, you know, and I, I hope that, you know, I've created that environment internally, and, and I believe that most, you know, High-level employees and executives out there would that are successful in doing well would probably want the same thing. Um, you know, I, I think uh, you know that again. The typical scenario to me is is really kind of the old way of doing things, and it's really starting to 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 move out, uh, if you will. Um, you know, to, with regards to your other question and and what's out there as far as social media. Uh, and, and the effect that that plays, I mean, I think it plays a, a drastic um, aspect on our business today. Not only does it, um, you know, it, it can be a great thing, it can be a, a bad thing. I mean, you know, we were talking about it just the other day. We, you know, we get more hits from our website uh, through blogging and what we post on our social media, Facebook and LinkedIn, uh, than we do, you know, just having it out there or, or you know, sometimes even our job posting. So uh, it's certainly very prevalent. Uh, I think there are some employers and sometimes there's a trend to maybe keep people off of it. Uh, to me, it's uh, it's a tool that can only serve to benefit, uh, you know, someone's business regardless of what it is. I think that uh, the networking uh, that's allowed on it, the, um, you know, opportunities uh, that can come in the ideas that can flow through it, you know, through you know, even stuff like texting and instant messaging. You know, all of this is a, an amazing way to, uh, to me, increase and grow your business. And I would just add that, uh, you know, I was actually uh, part of a presentation last week that was breaking down the differences in communication styles of Gen X, Gen Y, and the baby boom generation. And Gen Y are, is so accustomed to doing five and six different ways of communication at once. I mean, they have their instant messenger op open, they're fa Facebooking, they're tweeting, they're text messaging, and they're emailing. And this is all happening within an organization or, or an office setting where you're next to the person that you're doing that with, and, and they tend to feel more comfortable doing that. So it, it creates a unique dynamic when you're trying to have a communication communications or delivering a message where, you know, getting those folks engaged uh, on a one-on-one -on -one conversation when you're looking for eye contact and kind of nonverbal cues of how engaged are they as an employee and, and they're ready in their brains thinking of, oh, geez, I wish I was tweeting this or I wish I was on Facebook. Now, for us as an organization, that's at the very heart of what we do is we're trying to go and recruit and trying to find candidates. And to Mark's point, we found that our website uh, and it, social media is kind of, again, at the heart of what we do. But when we tweet a message, uh, a PR release, if you will, versus issuing it from older traditional ways of releasing a PR release, we're, we get so much more hits to our website and retweets from doing stuff on new media, social media, versus uh, old school media, if you will. But yeah, it's definitely... Uh, it, there's, that goes back to that sense of entitlement, I think, with, with Gen Y employees, and I think Mark and I are both uh, in the Generation X gen 
generation, we're trying to figure each other, each other out and, and where we fit within uh, we're in the world and how we then communicate those to our clients who a lot of times are still from that baby boom generation. It's important to know where each person fits in and, and try to get a sense of what the communication style is and what's the best and most proper way to communicate with them. And I think you just hit sort of on the area that I was going to with that question, which is, are you seeing your clients relate to those newer generations when they are baby boomers? And are you seeing your clients using those newer social media tools? The successful ones, yes. Yeah. I think you have to if you're not... um, you know, to me, you're really uh, you're missing out on a lot of opportunity, and I think again, you're going to get left behind. Uh, social media is not a trend. Um, this is here to stay. Um, you know, MySpace is just the beginning. Uh, Facebook is, you know, revolutionized. You know, not just a, a social aspect, but uh, a business aspect. And LinkedIn, uh, really, especially since they went open source, has become. Um, probably one of the most used tools in almost everyone's business. I mean, I honestly can't think of almost anyone that's not on LinkedIn. Um, you know, as a, this is a successful business person. And I heard an interesting uh, scenario that said the difference of a salesperson who's in a baby boom generation is if, if a salesperson landed a big deal uh, that was from the baby boom generation, their first inclination would be to pick up the phone or to write a letter to let their friends and family know that they did something really good. Generation X would send an email. Well, Generation Y, the first thing you're going to do is put it on Facebook. And that just shows you the different levels of communication and what they feel comfortable with. They'd rather share that with complete strangers or people that they loosely are connected to online versus talking to their immediate family. Um, And I think with what Facebook announced last week of how they're going to try to change and capitalize on how people are communicating in the future, where it may not be email. I mean, they're saying that they're going to try to create a platform that captures all text information, instant message information, and email as a secondary source uh, and try to compete with Gmail and what Google is doing. So that's an interesting scenario, one that keeps changing every single day. Now, I'm glad that you talked about that because, of course, Facebook has been increasingly and continuously controversial because of their privacy issues and how they say that it was a mistake and that it was a system error, but they keep revealing and sharing information with advertisers that many people consider to be private and that had been listed on their pages as protected. What sort of use are you seeing in terms of those tools, and specifically Facebook, because they're the ones that have been dealing or facing the privacy issues? Well, within Facebook, I mean, when we launched our company, one of the first things we did was launch our Facebook business page, and we were happy that we were able to put it out there, and I think within a week's time, we had upwards of 700 fans or people who liked our web page, and and for us, it was interesting to keep note of, and, and we thought that looked great, and, and now we're up to, I think, 1,800 folks. Um, how do we translate that into revenue? It's been something that we're trying to trying to figure out. I mean, it looks great, and, and it looks like we are uh, well-established within the Facebook community, but then how do we translate into sales is, is maybe a different issue. But you know, as an employer, what we coach and what we talk to people about is if they're interviewing, and this maybe speaks to people who are coming out of college, do not put pictures out from spring break two years ago on Facebook, whether they're protected or not, because employers and human resources people are trained and coached to go and find those. And they'll do that, by the way, before you interview. So a lot of times people are like, well, no, I'll clean it up before I start that job or before they do a background check. Well, no, no, they're doing it now. They're doing it before they even call you. And uh, that's, that's different for a generation that puts every second of every day and every post and, and image that they've been in and now with checking in socially and, and the places section within Facebook or in, in your iPhone, that is very scary. And, and I always look at it as like, if, do you really want everyone to know where you are? 
And I'll give you, give, you, give you an example. We were considering uh, PR firms to help us with, the, with our launch of our company and our rebranding. And one of the people that we were connected to was you know, consistently checking in at a Starbucks in the middle of the day. And we said, well, this person, uh, they're not always available to us, and they also weren't, but the other person who was vying for our business was constantly always available in our face and talking to us whenever we needed them. We decided to go with that person uh, outside the person that was always at Starbucks and putting things out there online. So what you share and why you share it is important, but to think that it's protected uh, because you've clicked on a certain privacy um, setting within Facebook, that would be foolish because even though you think it is, well, I know that recently there's been pictures that have been launched uh, for a person I was talking to as, a, as an employee, and they said to me, I was like, I never knew that it was out there. I had clicked private at one point. Well, it turns out that Facebook changed the settings, and if you didn't go back in and manually reprotect those, you were out of luck. So it's something that who knows where this is headed five to ten years from now. I mean, I can only imagine that um, you know the amount of growth that Facebook has had and social media websites have had. You know, now people are no longer. I mean, Twitter was hot last year, and now it seems to be more Foursquare. And who knows where it's going next year? You know, to, to add to what you said, though, I think you know some of those things. Uh, you know maybe for your more conservative person can be even a little obvious, right? Don't post the spring ray picture on there. But I think what some people forget, and I, I myself forgot this, and, and I, you know, I'm fairly political in nature. I, I follow certain politicians, and I tend to have an opinion, uh, you know, w- with regards to politics. And um, I, I went on Facebook, and I was joining, you know, groups, and not necessarily, you know, for certain candidates, but um, perhaps you know, posting um, uh, rather one-sided political opinions that I may have. And, you know, something that occurred to me, and, and I actually had uh, our PR person pointed out to me, was, Mark, you know, you may be alienating some of your potential customers who feel drastically different from you on politics. And politics is what it is. It's certainly just an opinion. Um, but, you know, something I never thought about was, I may be alienating a customer who differs from my politics drastically and may feel that my opinion is going to cause them not to want to do business with me. And, and it was something I had to consider, and I you know, thought about it and said, well, you know, I don't really think it's worth me posting online maybe what my specific political opinion is if it may be alienating a potential customer or even an employee. Um, you know, and that that's something that I think a lot of people maybe don't think about when it comes to, to social media or Facebook. That is a really interesting way of looking at it. And brings me to my next question, which relates both to sharing opinions and political issues and to the hiring someone that you can share a beer with statement that you made earlier. <laughs> And that is the question that the social profile of the country is changing. It's changed already. We are seeing that 80% of the growth in the country today, I just saw the report a couple of weeks ago from Geoscape, 80% of the growth in the United States today is coming from emerging markets, meaning African-American, Asian, and Hispanic markets. And what that means, of course, is that we have more diversity in many ways than we have had in past decades because of technology, because of the growth of the emerging markets compared to the non-Hispanic white markets and how those markets are shrinking. And you being in Florida and North Carolina, both of which have booming Hispanic populations, I assume are seeing some of this. but. How is this affecting the employment arena? I don't know if we have any specific numbers to to our business, but we are seeing, I mean, the trends from Hispanic employment. Um, I just read a stat that said, I think up in, by year 2050, up to a quarter of the workforce in the United States will be of Hispanic descent. So, I mean, that is, I mean, those numbers are, uh, are amazing. And then to not have... 
uh, a company that embraces diversity would be really ignorant at this point, especially in uh, in the state of Florida. When we launched our office uh, in South Florida, and we're in Jupiter and West Palm Beach area, you know, one of the things that we thought of right off the bat was, can we have somebody who was bilingual and can reach out to the Latin American community that's based in, in the Dade and Broward County? I mean, that's something we were considering as an employer, and we look at some of our competitors and what they're doing uh, in those marketplaces, and specifically in South America and Latin America. Those are huge windfalls for uh, revenue streams. And if you don't have the ability to capture that market, you're really shooting yourself in the foot, specifically in the state of Florida. So, um, you know, that's one thing that I went to, when I went, wish I went back to, to college um, in my undergraduate degree. I'm like, why did I take, uh, in, in my case, French versus learning how to speak Spanish? I mean, because I, I absolutely have, I could probably order dinner at a French restaurant and that would be it versus be able to be, conduct business in the next uh, 10 years here in the state of Florida, which is where my office and corporate headquarters is here in Orlando. So I think it's it's an area that you have to embrace diversity. It has to be something that you're about all the time. It can't be just something that's a slogan or you think about once every single day. You have to consider it, consider it in every aspect of employment. Well, I mean, and, and to your point, Bill, I mean, Hispanic Americans are the fastest growing minority group in the United States, and, and we see it especially here in Florida. And I think being able to embrace diversity is very important. And, and to my point, I don't want to seem like I was co- contradicting myself. I, I do think it's important, important in the job world that employers going to look for someone they can have a beer with. I think it's very important for that employer to make sure that they're open to, uh, you know, having a beer with a diverse group of people. I certainly don't want to sit in a mirror and and drink one with myself. I think that would be pretty boring. Um, And then at the same time, I think, you know, with regards to what I was saying about Facebook and someone's political views, well, I think it's important to have those opinions, and certainly you can discuss them and and feel, you know, that, you, you know, and our opinions are always going to vary. I mean, I know very few people have the exact same opinion on politics. Everyone's going to differ somewhere. Um... You know, it's important, I think, when you're out there posting things on Facebook make, to make sure you're not alienating people who have a different opinion than you. I think it's important to say that, you know, everyone's entitled to their opinion. Everyone has it. This happens to be mine. Yours is different. I see your point, you know, and and have that, you know, I guess, uh, you know, good interaction with each other and realize that we're all, you know, very different at the end of the day. Yeah. Can you learn from each other? I mean, I look back to we just – came across an election day and we encouraged our staff to to go out and vote and you know when you get into an area of when people start sharing political thoughts that can certainly be some heated discussions and uh, we had some playful discussion in our morning meetings and the important thing was everyone had an opinion and the people were engaged and that they were voting and they had a particular reason why they were voting that way and that's great regardless of what their thought process was as long as they were engaged the same goes for diversity if you just have uh you know of only one mindset within an organization you're missing out on great ideas and great markets and emerging markets like you mentioned so um, you know, our message would be to, to employers out there is to embrace candidates from all different uh, cultures. Are you seeing employers do that? Are you seeing employers hire from a diverse pool of candidates? Are there candidates available that meet those requirements? Are there special skill sets that you're being asked for, say, for example, in terms of language or cultural knowledge that are important? There's no doubt. I mean, we've been given some some requirements recently from some clients that were looking for some technical specifications, and they had customer base that uh, had a branch operations in in San Paulo, Brazil. So the ability to speak fluent Portuguese was important, and uh, that was tough to recruit for, especially if somebody didn't put that on a resume, there would be no way for us to know that as we're looking and screening through our candidates and, you know, hundreds of thousands of resumes that we have within our database. But, yeah, we are hearing that from clients. So that goes back to adding value to organizations. If you have a skill set or a trait, uh, you know, if you're able to be bilingual and trilingual and speak other languages you can bring to the table, make sure you state that. State it loud and proud. Have it on your resume. State that during the interview process whether or not you think that can help you on that particular position. You never know if it will. If you have, uh, you know, we go back to being agile and bringing a couple, wearing a couple different hats, whether it's technology, finance, or what have you, 
don't let all your tools in the tool bag not be shown. Lay them all out on the table as you're trying to differentiate yourself from another potential employee. And the strong, I mean, the strongest companies are companies that are the most diverse, in my opinion. I mean, there's just, there's no way around it. What three tips would you share? You can have three each if you like. Say three for employers, people who are in a position to hire, who are listening to us, about ways that they can go about embracing the current market or the market trends that we've been talking about. And also three tips for people who are looking to get a job who might be listening to us. Well, I can start with um, you know three tips that I would share with somebody who is trying to find a position or from a, an employee standpoint. One, again, it would be make yourself as versatile versatile as possible. Um, don't uh, don't segment yourself to only one portion of the population. And uh, saying that from a tool skill set, if you have older technology, for example, what can you do to stay up with the latest and greatest technology, again, whether that's finance or IT? Uh, how do you stay on top of the curve and regarding trends within technology, which, by the way, by the time we're done with our call today, they probably already have changed. How do you keep on top of that? So, uh, and one thing I would say is you know, empower yourself through, re through research, whether that's going back and getting some technical certifications or sticking with some second post-secondary schools, but empower yourself with knowledge. Uh, would be would be the first and, and foremost tip. Making yourself um, agile and versatile to a company's needs uh, would be a second. And three, I think, would be to have the willingness to accept something that may not be 100% what you're looking for. Going back to that, do I have to take a step backwards to take a giant leap forward? What would I gain from, from growing and, and working in an organization? So, um, in a nutshell, I would sit there and say that, you know, and then again, research, research, research. Empower yourself with the tools that are available online and through print media to find out exactly what you're getting yourself into. There's no excuse for not knowing. We also wanted to share some oh, suggestions for I, I'm employers. Sorry, just, I, I, think, I think from an employer uh, standpoint, I mean, I think if I could give advice to, to the other employers, and especially kind of the small to medium-sized business owners out there right now, um, you know, I, I've I've owned and and sold several businesses now, and I've been lucky enough to be in that situation. And in each instance, I started, um, you know, my business in a, what would be considered kind of a down economy, right? So, um, you know, ne both now and and about eight years ago, and. Um, you know, I think what we saw is we were able to kind of outperform our competition because those larger, less agile organizations um, were sort of um, so attached to the market and so attached to uh, what the economy was doing, they uh, were too short-sighted to actually have the ability to grow. Um, you know, some other advice I think I would give and something we've really embraced is not, not just a diversity, which I think, again, if you're not diverse as an organization, I think you're, you're destined to fail. But I think empowering your employees is probably one of the most important things I can you know, tell employers to do. And I use the most simplistic example to anybody who's ever been in a situation with a customer service rep for anything um, can probably talk about a very frustrating situation they've had on the phone with someone who is clearly reading from a scripted, uh, you know, and really not empowered to actually help that customer. And um, I go back to, you know, probably one of the most successful um, large organizations in the country today, Walt Disney World. Uh, you know, here's an organization that has 80,000 people here in, in just our local area. Um, and they have everything from, you know, a janitor to, you know, some very high-level executives to performers. And all of these people are, are empowered. In fact, that, you know, they are told in their training that they are empowered to make the guest happy. Uh, you know, if, if someone who's, you know, picking up trash sees a, a, a little girl crying, they can, you know, give that person, a, you know, a stuffed animal or a sticker or something to make them happy. And, and I think that if you empower your employees to make your customers um, happy uh, um, or whoever their customers are, whether that be internal or external customers, I think you're going to find that you're going to be a lot more successful that way. And, yeah, sure, you may have some times where you need to talk and say, hey, instead of handling it this way, maybe we should have handled it this way. 
but empowerment to me is really, you know, one of the greatest competitive advantages a small and medium sized or more agile business can have. And I think finally, rewarding uh, success uh, of your actual employees and, and taking time to step back and celebrate an accomplishment and not just looking at what's next. Um, and I think if you do that, you're going to have some very uh, content and satisfied and happy employees. Thank you, Mark and Bill, for joining us from Orlando, Florida. We appreciate you having us. Yeah, thank you. And to our audience, thank you for listening to Mark Moore, who is president, and Bill Pepler, who is managing partner of Cavaliero, who discussed trends in today's job market. Please share your suggestions, questions, and ideas by leaving a comment on the HispanicNPR.com website. If you or someone you know would like to be on the show, you can email me directly at editor at HispanicNPR.com. That's editor at HispanicMPR.com.